This podcast is brought to you by EcoJot. EcoJot designs and produces beautiful journals, notebooks, and planners, all made in Canada from 100% post-consumer recycled paper. They support four wonderful organizations, including Animal Justice, through sales of some of their designs. Get 15% off of your total order, excluding cause-related products, at ecojot.com using code PAW15 at checkout. And finally, this episode is brought to you by The Grinning Goat, Canada's vegan fashion boutique with a storefront in Calgary and an online store that ships across Canada and worldwide. As a Paw and Order podcast listener, you can save 15% on your entire purchase at grinninggoat.ca simply using the code PAW15 at checkout. This is another iRaw podcast. We podcast to make the world a better place for animals. In the Canadian justice system. Animals' interests are rarely represented, but the lawyers at Animal Justice fight to give them a voice in court and the political system. This is the Pawn Order Podcast, and these are their stories. Hello, everyone, and welcome to our first episode of 2020. This is Paw and Order, episode 70. 70, wow. 70, wow. (laughs) Joined today, as you can tell, by my co-host, Jessica Scott-Reed. Hi, Jess. Hi, Camille. How are you? Happy New Year. Happy New Year. I'm... I'm fine. I'm, I don't have COVID because I stayed by myself and stayed in all Christmas. So that's good. I don't have COVID either. Woo. So far, so good. <laughs> so far, so good. So how was your how was your break? Did you get much of a break with a child under five at home? Yes. Having a four year old uh, home, uh, no preschool during the break, of course, and no help from family. It was equally uh, hectic as it was kind of relaxing because we didn't have to go anywhere or see anyone, but I did have to occupy a four-year-old for two straight weeks in the house. Um, thankfully, there were a lot of new toys to be had after Christmas, so the after Christmas part was easier than the before Christmas. But we basically did a lot of baking, a lot of vegan food eating, so that took up a lot of time. Still had our great holiday meal, uh, that Bosch um mushroom wellington that i make every year i still made that just for us and uh, then on christmas day we had our stellar traditional ukrainian christmas meal but all veganized a deli here in winnipeg made um, cabbage rolls with beyond meat uh, and they were fantastic so still able to have all of our great cultural experiences even without all the family and without any animal products how about you what did you end up eating you were all alone weren't you you and the bunny yeah i was alone well not alone because i had a bunny who is Mm -hmm. also vegan so that was great we shared salads (laughs) perfect happy christmas salads (laughs) yeah it was pretty good now the bunny her name is maddie she's all black except for a little bit of white on the toes of her front paws and a teeny bit on the toes of her back paws and she is so cute oh my god i haven't had a bunny since i was a child and we used to have some rabbits and they're they're special she's got an enclosure that she likes to chill in but she's got free range so she comes and goes as she please oh that's nice yeah, yeah, it's nice. Uh, she hadn't been litter trained before, but she's using the litter box perfectly, so it's been super easy. And yeah, where she's she doesn't like being picked up, so she's not like the most snuggly bunny. But we've definitely had mm. some nice petting sessions, and oh, just a little ray of sunshine. 
Oh, so, what a nice little guest to have over the holidays. Yeah. And I ate some food, too. I had the tofurkey roast, which is oh, still one of my favorites. And, and Classic. I just also love that tofurkey is such a great company. Like, they're, yep. they're really doing it right. And I was too lazy to actually make any pierogies, but I did buy some pierogies. <laughs> I, I bought mine, too. Mine were, mine were bought. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I, there used to be, like, Almost no way to buy pierogies. Maybe in Winnipeg it was easier, but in Toronto or certainly PEI, it just wasn't a thing. And oh, now we have actually vegan, gluten-free with vegan cheese pierogies. There's a company here, a woman who makes them, Amanda Lynn, gluten-free, and she makes vegan, gluten-free pierogies. So, I mean, look how far we've come. <laughs> wow. Wow. The world is changing. I love it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that was my Christmas Eve dinner was the pierogies and Christmas Day was the was the tofurkey. So yeah, pretty good food week and relaxing. Perfect. Perfect. Good to hear. Yeah. And animal justice had a busy year end too. I just want to say a huge thank you to all of our listeners and everyone out there who helped us meet our year end fundraising goal. Uh, thanks to you folks, over $65,000 in donations were matched. So double. Incredible. Wow. Amazing. So much good for the animals are going to come of that. Yeah, it was it was a good year. It was a bad year, but it was a good year in a lot of ways. And I think the yeah. year ahead is, I mean, it can't get much worse. <laughs> Knock on wood, famous last words. No. But. <laughs> Knock on wood, yeah. Yeah. Well, we have a jam-packed episode today. First one back, but we've got a really exciting interview with Kimberly Carroll, colleague at Animal Justice and fellow Manitoban, Jess. Yes. Who's yes, going to fill us is. in on the Animal Justice Academy, which is something that we're launching this month, an exciting six-week training program to help all of us become better at making social change for animals. So look forward to that. Yeah, it sounds very exciting. Something for everyone. Incredible speakers. Uh, I can't even believe the amount of people who have donated their time to this great program that is going to be free. So listen, listen on for more on that. Yeah. And uh, before we get into the news, I want to give you guys all a reminder to leave us a review if you enjoy listening to the podcast. We have over 100 five-star reviews, but we could always use a few more. And if you actually write out a review, too, instead of just clicking the five stars, that really helps us uh, reach more people because they see that and they're more likely to listen. So we got a couple recent reviews. One is from ZachZilla89. And Zaxilla says, this is an absolute must for Canadian animal advocates. Pod and Order gives you the newest news from the front lines of animal justice in Canada. Support these people. They're doing some of the most important work up north. Thank you, Zach. Oh, thank cool. you. And we got another one from Jomia1989. Uh, short and sweet. They say, happy new year. Five stars. Love the show. Well, we love you, Jomia. Thank yes, you. Thank you. Uh, and we also love our patrons. Uh, you can support us on Patreon for as little as a dollar a month. Uh, thanks to listener Lara for increasing her pledge recently. And we have new Patreon prize tiers uh, with new stuff. Uh, so f at the $5 level, you get a mailed card to say thank you, as always. But now you also get a pawn order sticker, too. <laughs> At the $20 level, you can get your choice between one of our official new Pawn Order mugs or a t-shirt. Um, you can also get the t-shirts um, available on the website shop.animaljustice.ca. Anyone can get that. And if you support us at the $10 a month level, you get 
15% off uh, at the online store. I'm going to put up a picture of my lovely Paw and Order t-shirt probably on my Instagram. By the time this comes out, you'll be able to go and see it. Uh, it's a very cute little t-shirt. I got mine the other week too. Thank you oh, for mailing you get, it because oh, I actually yes, got Jess's yes. old one that didn't fit properly. So that was mine. Yes. And that's good. <laughs> We're working out the sizes. I find that I think by the sizing, they do fit a little small. So keep that in mind when you're doing some shopping. Uh, and it's really cute. And I love my mug. It's very sleek with the black on the inside. Yeah. It, uh, it works super well. fancy. He's super fancy. Thanks, Shannon, for that. <laughs> All right, on to the news. And we have a, a couple of like fairly weighty articles to discuss. Like, weighty. Pretty, that's weighty. Good, I was going to say meaty, but word. I don't really like <laughs> Weighty's no, better. Weighty. Not meaty, substantial, what yes, have you. Yes. It was a, it was a, a bit of a it was a bit of a, a let's, let's say weighty time for animals in the news recently. Over the holidays, you don't have to get a lot, but uh, let's start with this first one in the New York Times, Camille. Yeah, so New York Times published a piece on uh, December 29th. The title is, Is Dairy Farming Cruel to Cows? I don't know, Jess, what do you think? Uh, you know, my uh, my editor at Tenderly Magazine, the vegan magazine on medium.com, Summer, she tweeted it perfectly. She just said, why is there a question mark here? <laughs> That, and I, I thought that summed it up perfectly. Why are we asking, is dairy farming cruel to cows? And you can just imagine the New York Times, uh, you know, they're probably going to find a way to answer this uh, in a way that we are not going to agree with. And that's pretty much what happened. <laughs> pretty much. So the piece opens with an interview with a dairy farmer who like, oh, my God, Jess, he loves his cows. He treats them oh. like his family, like all the typical things that dairy farmers say about their cows. I mean, the first sentence says the carefree life and then it, and then inciting these ideas of the farmer in the dell and the cows licking his hand. That's all in the first paragraph. So initially you're like, oh, I know where this is going. Totally, totally. Now, they do pay a little bit of lip service to... Uh, the other perspective. Uh, what? Okay, one thing that bothered me that I'm just going to say off the top is that when they talk about the other perspective of like, maybe what we do to cows is not so great, they say animal rights activists have a markedly different take on farms like this one. And mm -hmm. I want to push back a little bit on the idea that it's animal rights activists who have a different take. Uh, mm -hmm. Because, you know, I, I don't even know what percentage of people are now starting to avoid cow dairy milk, but it's a lot mm -hmm. higher than those people who are animal rights activists or even vegans. Like this is a broader movement. There's many people who are troubled by what they learned about milk. It's not just activists. That's a great point. That's a great point. I mean, the fact that they really kind of spend as much as what one small paragraph on the quote animal activist perspective. Um, and, and also I have a problem with the fact that they, they refer to animals as it, which I know happens a lot in media. I try very hard to work against that. Um, I, I haven't really run into a problem when I don't use it and I use they, uh, adding personhood to animals. I've never really had an editor tell me I can't do that. Uh, but I find it unfortunate when you're having especially a discussion about uh, cruelty towards animals, that even in this context, they're still referred to as it. So we're really setting them up to be discussed in a way that already isn't fair. Uh, I always notice that and have an issue with it. I really hope that media can evolve past that soon. Oh, I know. I've, I've had that same issue for, you know, over a decade they've been doing this. And especially at a time now when they is being increasingly used as a gender yes. neutral pronoun. Like, why can't we yes. just use that for animals if we don't know their yeah. gender? I think it's a style guide thing. Um, it might be something worth looking into on my end, how to get that changed in style guides for publications. Mm. There's a project. Mm -hmm. Yeah, cool idea. 
Yeah. So the article pays a little bit of lip service to, um, you know, some of the realities of dairy farming, like slaughtering mother cows after their productivity declines. Like it does mention that they can live 20 years, but most are slaughtered after four to five years because they're not as profitable for the farmers. Um, but that's really the only mention of, of slaughter. Uh, the only the, mention of slaughter. <laughs> yeah. The article kind of glosses over the fact that the whole dairy industry is really built on incorporating slaughter profits into its business model. Like I think close to 10% of its profits come from selling off these mother cows after their mm -hmm. productivity declines. So that struck me as troubling. Uh, you know, there's a little bit of investigation, uh, a little bit of mention of investigation, but the way the the way the article or the author frames investigations into dairy farms is the effort to demonize dairy as fundamentally yeah. cruel has been fanned by undercover firm footage. Like, is that really the frame that we're trying to put on this? Maybe maybe the frame is actually, well, when the public gets a glimpse into the reality, they don't mm -hmm. like what they see. Instead yeah, I mean, the, the way that the author really uses words it really it really shows that this is a pro welfare article uh it's a little bit pro farmer for sure there's a little bit of this sort of victimizing of farmers um definitely the animal rights as we said uh, perspective is very short i appreciate that the author says that some of our claims are what he says beyond dispute, which is nice to see that dairy cows are repeatedly impregnated, have their newborns taken away at birth, can, female calves are confined to pens. Um, that part I appreciate, but it was so quick. And you, you just felt as you were reading it, there's going to be a big but coming afterwards. And that's essentially what the rest of the article is, is a big but uh, and talking about how kind of things are being approved the big brush <laughs> did you oh. not laugh out loud when you read the part about the big brush oh my god oh, we, we talk about this all the time i could just imagine peter's reaction to reading this about the big bristly brush that welfare scientists have found cows to love and now farmers are are clamoring to put this into their farms to make their cows happy before they kill them. Oh my yeah. God, was, was that hilarious? <laughs> it's amazing. Although like, it's not like the brush is a requirement. I mean, there's no requirements legally for <laughs> anything right. like this. So obviously there wouldn't be a requirement. And the article's kind of like, yeah, more farmers are getting the brush. And it's like, well, how many farmers are getting the brush actually? Like, do you have stats on that? Because I'm pretty sure it's not even approaching most farmers. That's a good point. That's a very good point. It's it definitely talked a lot about welfare scientists and trying to make cows happier in the context of dairy farming, um, which is which is OK. But I really think it's working to just quell any kind of concerns that someone who would read this article might be having. Uh, and and instead of saying, well, you could just drink oat milk, uh, they're saying, well, look, there there are scientists trying to make cows happier. And then you'd feel much better about yourself. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of what what's contemplated here. Uh, one, one thing that stuck out to me as well is they interview a professor at UBC who mm -hmm. is well known for her work on dairy research. And, uh, you know, she, she grew up on a cattle farm, so they do mention that, but somehow that's not a disqualifying thing for her yeah, impartiality, right? which is interesting. But <laughs> she says she rejects the notion that dairy farming is fundamentally inhumane, but she says that farmers have a responsibility to continuously improve the well-being of the herds. So, like, that raises some questions to me. If she's rejecting this idea that what they're doing right now is fundamentally inhumane, then what responsibility do they have to improve things if what they're doing is fine? Like mm -hmm. the, the recognition is already there that some of these practices are problematic. Yeah, it's uh, it's 
it's sort of counterproductive to speak that way, but I feel like that's sort of the welfare stance as it is, right? This idea that we're making things better without admitting that they're terrible to begin with, right? That everybody loves their cows and everybody's doing better, but they recognize that the public seems to be having some concerns lately. And so that's pushing them because they don't want to lose the bottom line, right? They have to make, it's not even like they're saying that they're caring more about the animals. It's that the public suddenly is seeing things and so now they're having to to make big fuzzy brushes so that the public can feel better about drinking milk. Yeah, I mean, it's really all about marketing and trying to convince people that what they're doing is not cruel, hence the question exactly. mark, I think. Exactly. So, I did not find this a very balanced article. Uh, it was a huge missed opportunity, in my opinion. They obviously skipped out on a lot of the horrific things that we know happen in the dairy industry. It was disappointing. Definitely. So we'll post a link to it. It's actually not behind a paywall, which is unusual for some New York Times yeah. pieces. So, I mean, potentially good. Uh, just yeah. one final thing. <laughs> so they use they use this other farm as an example of dairy production done right, basically. Uh, yes. Yes. Uh, Hawthorne Valley model of dairy production. So th- this, this farmer has a nonprofit operating structure, um, you know, uh, allegedly higher welfare conditions and so on. And uh, he he speaks about how some aspects of dairy farming, notably the fate of male calves who are sold into the veal industry, are especially upsetting. And just what's his solution for the veal <laughs> question? He actually <laughs> finds it problematic that people aren't eating enough veal because if they did, farms like his would be more financially viable. Oh so my goodness! He's promoting gracious. ethically raised veal, veal, which is where like the male calves are kept with their moms for a little bit longer and then torn away from their moms, like. Okay. Yeah, and it's the same idea of uh, the being more ethical milk, right? That the calves get to stay and that even though it dips into the production that he says having the calves there actually ups their production and makes the milk, what did he say, sweeter or something? I get tweeted about this farm all the time thinking that someone's going to just make me go profoundly, oh, look at this. This is this is something that goes against everything I've been saying. No, I'm still not convinced. <laughs> no, not convincing at all. It's ethical veal BS. Imagine. <laughs> Uh, all right. So a little bit frustrating. Uh, you know, I'm hoping people will mostly just read the headline and they'll be like, oh, is dairy farming cruel to cows? I guess it probably is. I'm not going to read the yes. article because I don't want to know the details. <laughs> well, we'll just tell you the answer is yes. We'll save you the time. <laughs> yeah, there we go. All right. Well, next piece is a little bit more optimistic. I, I really liked this one. It's a piece in the Globe and Mail by Les Perot about former Kalesh horses who have now uh, reached a retirement phase in a sanctuary outside of Montreal. So I, I should say Kalesh horses were specifically used in the Montreal horse carriage industry, which used to trot around all over the old town in the hot summer and the cold winter. And people did not like this. And that's why Montreal was forced to ban these Kaleshes, uh, the ban which went into effect about a year ago. Yeah, I actually was uh, part of the group that protested these Kalesh. We used to hold silent vigils in old Montreal when I was living in Montreal. Uh, it was a it was a big endeavor uh, that seemed to kind of come in waves every year where we'd have big protests. People really, anytime really a horse was injured in traffic, which happened a couple of times, then it would get onto the news and the people would be all up in arms about it. And uh, I, I'm so glad that the industry has ended But in the article, even though we hear so much about uh, some of these horses that have gone to sanctuary and are now, um, they're acting sort of as therapy horses for frontline workers, uh, which I've I've seen happening on other farms. Uh, People can come and visit the horses and just have some moments of peace, which is a lovely part of the story. But I was was not happy to see that later on in the article, they talk about um, 
this Luke, Lucky Luke stables owner, um, how he still actually has some of the horses in the downtown stables that are, they're just there. He says they're still downtown giving people joy. They come and feed them apples, but he's been keeping them in this, in this stable this whole time. I'm surprised to hear that. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. This guy, this, this Luke guy was, was one of the, um, so the main folks who were fighting against this ban, I know he was responsible for at least one court challenge and the article yep. says he might be involved in another one. Court challenges which have failed so far. And uh, yeah, I found that disappointing too. So it sounds like he's keeping them in the stables seven. downtown, seven yep. of them, and he's trotting them out to places outside the city where it's not illegal to do like horse carriage rides elsewhere. And it's like, oh mm-hmm. my God, just give it up. Yeah, exactly. It's he says they're still giving people pleasure. People come to visit them with carrots and apples, but after 20 minutes walking around a field or eating apples, they're bored. They're used to working. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you can say a lot about a lot about that and the, the kind of rationale people use to justify forced labor in other contexts, too. But geez, it's, it's awful. I really hope he just gives them up. He gives them up to horsetail. There's, they said that they have room for more. Um, I'm hoping that once his court challenges are finished, that he'll just do the right thing. I hope so, too. And it was also notable to me in the article that uh, one cool thing that Montreal did was offer $1,000 compensation to owners for every retired horse. And I, I think that was a good move. I thought it would encourage people to give up horses and move into better industries. But the city is apparently only paid out that some for two horses two. partly yeah. two because some of the owners contest this ban and refuse to take money from the city like yeah they're doing it right. in a protest fine don't take your money yeah it's fine yeah so overall over, overall a lovely story really nice to, to catch up with these horses that became famous in Montreal a lot of you know us activists we got to know some of these horses by name and it was so sad to see them slowly deteriorating over time so it's so nice to to see and hear about some of them doing so much better now yeah it is a it is a good news story yes all right and our final piece is I wouldn't say it's a good news story but it's kind of like I told you so story I I call it a big duh (laughs) duh (laughs) <laughs> yeah, so a great piece in The Guardian UK about why organic meat production is just as bad for the climate, according to a new study uh, published in Nature Communication. Yeah, who would have thought? <laughs> shocking, shocking. I mean, yeah, so they did an analysis, like uh, basically an emissions analysis of the climate costs per kilogram of um, different types of um, you know, substances, so beef and lamb, chicken, pork, milk, and plants, and uh, found actually that uh, contrary to the belief of some, although I'm not sure who would think that organic would be like somehow better than the climate, like you're still talking about the same inputs. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So it's actually worse in most cases, slightly, slightly better in the case of pig meat, um, but worse in all other cases to um, purchase organic products compared to conventional ones. Yeah, there's a bubble pop for some people. What I liked in this article was where they started talking about um, price increases, uh, which is something that's been slowly be making more uh, leeway in mainstream media, talking about meat taxes or increasing meat prices um, to cover the climate costs that they that they include. So the research calculated the increases required in prices paid to farmers to cover climate costs. Oh, wait, what does that say? Increased prices paid to farmers to cover climate costs. What? These would lead to a rise of about 40% in shop prices for conventional meat. Oh, 
So oh. it's paid to farmers. Oh, okay. I, I got to read that more closely. I got to go. I know that's not what I thought it said. I thought they were talking about a meat tax to cover the climate costs, not that it would go to farmers. The price increase for organic meat would be about 25% because it's more expensive to start with. Conventional milk would rise by about third for shoppers and organic milk by a fifth. But the price of plant foods would barely change, of course. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Once again, vindication for the idea that a plant-based diet is the best one for the climate. Your organic meat diet ain't cutting it, guys. Ain't cutting it. Wow, price increase goes to farmers. I guess I shouldn't have been surprised. Yeah, I mean, what what government would miss a chance to line the pockets of farmers any further? <laughs> but not not the plant farmers, just the meat and dairy ones. Yes. <laughs> There are many ways to spend your hard-earned money, but if you're like us, you're a fan of ethically produced products that have always supported wonderful causes. EcoJot was launched as a Canadian-made stationery company that combines locally made journals and planners with beautiful designs using 100% post-consumer recycled paper from the award-winning Cascades Mill in Quebec. Designed by Carolyn Gavin, a wonderful artist who uses words and imagery to create bright and happy covers, their journals and planners can be customized, making them wonderful gifts and thoughtful gifts for those who are special to you. As listeners of Paw and Order, you can get 15% off your total order, excluding cause-related products, at ecojot.com using the code PAW15 at checkout. You can also find Ecojot on Facebook and Instagram at ecojot. That's E-C-O-J-O-T. All right, Jess, I'm so excited for our main feature this episode, which is an interview with Kimberly Carroll, my colleague at Animal Justice. Kimberly brings her strategic and bridge building skills as a coach for change makers and her extensive media and marketing background from her time as a TV host and producer to advocating for animals. During her 15 years as an activist, she's been involved in some of the country's most influential animal protection initiatives. She co-created the Why Love One But Eat the Other transit ad campaigns that ran across the country, which we're definitely gonna get into. She helped found Mercy for Animals Canada, has been a spokesperson for various animal rights and veg advocacy groups, and is a director for the Toronto Vegetarian Food Bank. She is now a campaign strategist with Animal Justice. As a coach, which is her day job, she helps leaders, activists, uh, entrepreneurs, healers, and educators who want to make a bigger difference in the world do the transformative inner work and build the high-performance habits and strategies to take their mission to the next level. She has worked with hundreds of animal activists and has counseled those in high-stress activist positions like undercover investigators. Kimberly grew up in Brandon, Manitoba, fellow Manitoban. Yay, Manitoba! And she now lives in Toronto. Kimberly, welcome to Pawn Order. Welcome, Kim. Well, ladies, it took you long enough to have me on the show. <laughs> I know. We're, we're marking like year three of this podcast or something. And finally. <laughs> about time. About time. Yes, exactly. And and I'm so I'm excited to be here because, well, we've got I've got we've got a special project um, happening with animal justice. And I guess I should have had that in the bio, Camille, the animal justice Academy. So we'll, we'll talk about that in a bit too. We're definitely going to get into that. Yeah. Yeah, That is indeed going to be our main, our main discussion topic with Kimberly announcing all the details of this extremely exciting training program that we've sort of been teasing you guys about now for quite Mm -hmm. some time. It's finally come to fruition. So we'll get into that. 
But um, I thought we'd start, Kimberly, just with uh, your story. I know our listeners always love to hear about people's path toward becoming veg, caring about animals and becoming an activist. So what was it for you growing up in rural Manitoba that got you into uh, animal activism? Oh, you want the origin story? (laughs) Oh, yeah. I do. I definitely do. (laughs) Well, okay. So, yes, uh, fellow Manitoba girl here. Um, Virtual high fives, Jess. High five. High (laughs) five. Um, Oh, and just as a sidebar, um, I just listened to the holiday spectacular um, (laughs) the other day. (laughs) And and I just have to say, um, while that kid, Jess, Um, was doing uh, television Um, at the same station. There was a Kimberly doing television in her early 20s. (laughs) Yeah, I was a television host at the same station in Winnipeg that that little Jess was was becoming a star at. So, yes, we both started at the good old uh, Manitoba Television Network. That's right. (laughs) Look where we are now. (laughs) That's right. Wow. I guess, you know, that they're the vegan makers. They're MTN. Yeah, thanks, MTN. <laughs> so, so yeah, so my I started off, you know, out west in in farming country. So I'm not from Winnipeg. I'm out from further west, uh, the Brandon area, which is a, is a real uh, rural area. And you know, I have a lot of farming in my family. Um, and I, you know, grew up really loving animals. Um, just, you know, I would be the kind of kid that would, uh, you know, uh, save all the little mice when, when they were burning fields, um, you know, and, and, but on the other side of things, I was also a huge meat eater. I loved meat. Like I'm talking steak, KFC, everything. Everybody made fun of how much I, I loved meat. And I know from an early age, there was a, there was this cognitive dissonance happening. Like I loved animals but aren't I eating them? <laughs> and I would sort of go to the adults and I'd say, hey, is this a problem? And they go, oh my God, that, you know, you stop being silly. This is how, you know, Manitoba makes its economy and this is the way things are and, and everything. So they basically gave me permission to continue eating meat. Um, but it was in, it, so it wasn't until, and there was no internet, back in those days. And so it wasn't until my sort of in my adult, young adulthood that I had the change. And and what happened was I was out at a friend's farm in Gladstone, Manitoba, Jess, Mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. that place. Um, And it it was just after calving season. And I was uh, hanging out for the day with two twin calves who were just the most beautiful, tender, loving, cute things that I'd ever met. And I just, I love them. They had such personality. They were so just, just so full of love and life. And then we went in for dinner and sat down to my favorite food, steak. And at that moment, I just couldn't, I couldn't do the cognitive dissonance anymore. I just, I I looked at that plate and I just went, those are going to be the twins in a couple of years after some brutal years at a feedlot. And I thought, Kimberly, your ethics can become stronger than your appetite. Mm. And I remember thinking that, and I just remember, okay, let's just try it. I doubt I'll be able to do it, but let's just try it. So in that moment, I became vegetarian. um, And that was 24 years ago. Wow. Good for you. Without internet, it took me a little while to get to the vegan part. So 10 years later, um, thanks to Earthlings and a one-two punch of Earthlings and Peaceful Kingdom, um, I became a, a vegan and an activist. 
So, um, yeah, so that was the beginning. And just like a lot of people, when I started with activism, I was very grassroots. I did a lot of demonstrations, uh, you know, held a lot of signs, talked to a lot of people, you know, put out a lot of pamphlets, um, and which was great. It was really good to sort of uh, cut my teeth on that um, and really get to know the community, which wasn't very big at the time. (laughs) We had a potluck. That was pretty well the animal activism scene in Toronto um, 14 years ago. Um, And uh, there was a point where I just kind of went, hmm, I have a lot of skills, like a, a lot of special sort of skills, um, that maybe I should be thinking about how I can apply those to, to activism. And so that's when I started, you know, offering my hosting skills. I was a television host, as, as you know, um, my hosting skills to lots of different causes. And then I thought, well, I'm also a producer. I was a television producer for many years. And I thought, hmm, I, I could be producing something. And so that's how Why I Love One But Eat the Other um, came about Uh, there was somebody uh, that had a little bit of money that wanted to do some sort of campaign. And, uh, and I thought, well, let's, let's try this. Um, The why love one, but eat the other was a slogan that had been around for a long time, but I really wanted to figure out a a graphical way to represent it. That would really, you know, uh, captivate people um, and, and also show them the horrors of, of factory farming. So, um, so that's where the sort of that iconic poster uh, came from um, with the help of, of my co-creator, Lisa Kramer. And uh, we just thought, you know, the first run of it was in 2009. We thought, you know, we could only afford to get about 300 posters uh, on the subway, Toronto subway. And uh, it had such an impact, just those 300 posters that we were able to, uh, two years later, we crowdsourced before there was any crap, before that was a word. (laughs) We just basically, you know, put it out there via email to people to see if they could fund a next run. And uh, then we were able to do a full run of like 1100 posters um, ads. And then again, in 2013, we did a cross country campaign. So Mm. in every major city across the country, we did uh, the ads on uh, subways, buses, LRTs, um, you know, everything. So, so it was, uh, it it was a really exciting project. And then of course, um, uh, Pig Save t- took it over, uh, you know, for the last few years, and they did a little, um, you know, redesign of it with our blessing, and uh, and they ran with it for for many years. <laughs> so it, it's it's just the campaign that just never dies, which is, I guess, a good thing. <laughs> totally a good thing. I mean, I still meet mm-hmm. people who, you know, said, "Well, I, you know, I went veg and became an activist, or got aware of the issues back in 2009 when I first saw these ads on the subway." Like. It's had a real lasting impact. Still to this day, I encounter people all the time who said that they were influenced by it. Mm, and actually, it that's was amazing. Was yeah, I first moved to Toronto in the fall of 2009 to attend law school, and it was one of my first early memories of the city and seeing those ads and being like, "Oh, this is a pretty veg friendly place. I made the right move by coming here." <laughs> I'm well, and the, que- the, the question itself is just such a powerful question. I, it's a lasting slogan because it makes sense and it, it really, it works. How could anybody answer that question without having to think further about it? And I think that hasn't the uh, Vancouver, Vancouver Humane Society also taken it on uh, in, in Vancouver in the last couple of years, put it on buses as well. I feel like it's just, it's going to be one of those slogans that just keeps going. 
Oh, yeah, absolutely. No, it's a fabulous uh, slogan. And I mean, again, I don't take credit for that because it's been around for decades in different forms. But um, but yeah, I mean, the idea of asking people that question in, in, a, in a captive, you have a captive audience on transits. Yeah. And that and that's why I think it was really powerful is because sometimes when you're approaching somebody um, very assertively, if not aggressively with a message, they just shut down, they close their eyes. But when you have it on transit where they're stuck for a while, I mean, they can just engage with it. And, and we really wanted, um, you know, uh, an ad where they felt emotionally connected because of the animals, the pig facing the dog, mm-hmm. and, then, and, and, and to read what the characteristics of this pig are that they, that they, you know, dream and they answer to their name and their as intelligent as a three-year-old human child um, and and then to see you know um, images and descriptions of what they face in in uh, modern agriculture um, is I think was just uh, really again sort of that one-two punch that people really needed and so yeah so I love it I still love it when you know I I look at some of the really you know amazing activists out there. And I know I, you know, they've told me they went um, veg or they went um, vegan because of that ad. And it's, it's, yeah, it makes me feel. That's that's so profound. That's so profound. Getting that message into the public sphere out of our kind of activist bubble. And in 2009, we can't underestimate the fact that 2009, these things uh, weren't, weren't as out there as they are now. So yeah, we had to fight like hell. I bet. I bet. Yeah. That's, (laughs) I don't know if you remember Camille, me, like I had to like go to mayors in the different (sighs) cities across the country, you know, to try to get them to, you know, change the minds of the transit commissions that had banned them. (laughs) Oh my God. It's always so ridiculous. They like, it's pretty much a guaranteed thing that if you're trying to run an animal advocacy campaign on transit, like they'll initially be like, no, it's too graphic. Even if it's not graphic at all, they just don't want to any controversy it's pathetic yeah well but surely that must open the door a little bit right because now we've seen far more uh complicated uh questions and a little bit more graphic content put out since then so perhaps you were the one that opened the door for the things that we see now well, there have been so many great campaigns I, and it's just wonderful to see them rolling out one after another now. So, um, yeah, I'd like to think that our little team um, <laughs> with Lisa and, and actually Jenny McQueen was was that was one of, you know, when she was sort of starting to get really active. Um, we you know, she worked on it, too. So there was really uh, it was a really great team that brought brought that campaign together. Yeah, that was a cool and exciting phase in Toronto's yeah. animal advocacy history. Yeah, it was kind of like, I think just, I think at that point, a lot of us felt like we were maybe just a, um, a very small minority to, so to see that in which we are, <laughs> but to see that out there and to see people engaging, I think just uh, was very heartening. Mm. Now, I loved how you mentioned earlier the, your recognition that you had all these skills that not everyone has as a TV producer, as a television host, and that you started sort of turning those into ways that you could be an effective advocate. Um, and I like that for a couple of reasons. And number one is because I wanted to let everybody know that if you've ever seen video content from Animal Justice, 99% chance Kimberly's behind producing that. <laughs> her videos are excellent and it's thanks to her background. Uh, but the other thing I like about that is it's an example of, I think, uh, what the Animal Justice Academy, which maybe we should start getting into, Mm -hmm. aims to teach people, which is that we all have these unique skills and they can be harvested in pretty impactful ways that make a difference for animals. So um, Kimberly, maybe you could give us a little bit of background information about, about the Academy and about why you and Animal Justice thought it was an important thing for us to be doing. 
Yeah, I am so excited about this project, guys. Like, I haven't had tingles over something <laughs> like this since the Wyla One campaign. So, um, uh, it, Animal Justice Academy, um, it's going to be starting January 25th, running till March 5th. It's uh, going to be a six week online boot camp to empower those who want to make a better world for animals. So um, this, this is going to be a jam-packed six-week experience. Uh, weekly, you know, amazing, rich weekly video modules, live panel discussions, an academy discussion forum, Q&A sessions, mass group actions, all online. Um, and what we're hoping to do is to turn folks into the most informed and healthy and effective animal advocates possible. And so as Camille knows, um, where this came out of was, you know, uh, on, a, on a more micro level at Animal Justice, we have hundreds of people, I think probably Camille, right? Like wanting to volunteer like every year, like offering, emailing and everything um, to volunteer with us. And as an organization that of course is growing, but still lean, um, it's hard for us to manage hundreds of people as volunteers. So unfortunately we have all of these um, very excited, enthusiastic, generous people um, who we aren't able to put to work in the way that they'd like to. And that's not just for us. That's for that's for uh, animal groups everywhere. Um, and then we were also finding that, you know, when we would do a, a campaign or an investigation, we would have just we have all of these people, like thousands of people signing um, petitions and being outraged. Um, and we thought, what a lost resource this is. Like if we could take these people and we could give them the skills to actually become powerful animal advocates in their own realm, in their own geographical region, within their own communities, um, then we could really take this movement to the next level. Is that, that's that pretty well, that explains our, our, our uh, approach, right, Camille? Yeah, I, I would say so. It's, it's just, um, it's, it's, crushes me every week to not have enough tasks for all these amazing Canadians who want to get involved yeah. doing this work. And then, you know, you mentioned building political power for animals and building like lobbying and activism power. I think that is so essential to improving conditions and improving laws, protecting animals and getting us into a better uh, situation and moving us into the right type of future that we want to see because the other side has that. You know, I always pick on the dairy lobby. <laughs> Jess and I in particular love to talk about the dairy lobby. <laughs> yes, we do. <laughs> but these guys yeah. have a millions of millions in marketing dollars. They spend mm -hmm. a ton of money on lobbying and they're very effective. And the squeaky wheel gets the grease. And that's why we see such massive subsidies for the dairy industry. So imagine what we could do if we had, you know, the type of activism and lobbying activity on par with that of the dairy farmers. Yeah, absolutely. And everybody has an MP. Everybody has a provincial um, political representative. Everybody has a local municipal representative. You know, that's like one of the number one things you can do. And people don't think that they can actually have a meeting with their political representative. And it's like, you can, you're a constituent. They should be meeting with you. And so, um, so yeah, we have a whole week in animal justice that's dedicated to just how to get involved politically, um, how to, uh, you know, lobby your political representatives, how to have a successful meeting, um, how to, um, uh, 
how, you know, just basically how, what are the other aspects of municipal actions you can take? Um, what are the aspects of, uh, you know, federal um, level uh, actions you can take? Um, and we even talk about, we have Dave Meslin, who is like an electoral reform, you know, wizard come in and talk to us about the importance of even championing um, electoral reform as a way to become stronger um, in, in animal advocacy in the political realm. So, um, so yeah, I mean, we, uh, it's, it's, I'll tell you about some of the, you know, um, some of the topics we're going to cover, but first of all, I got to talk about the speakers. I think, I don't even think you know this, Camille, but we're, we're at about 80 speakers. Wow. Academy. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, um, you know, many of them are on panels and then we have sort of our faculty who are doing um, the modules, including you two, uh, Mm -hmm. Jessica and Camille. Uh, and, and other members of our animal justice team, Peter, Shannon, Caitlin Mitchell, um, uh, one of our uh, new uh, board members, Anthony Johnson. Um, we're going to have Canadian members of Parliament, Elizabeth May and Nathaniel Erskine-Smith. Wow. Yeah, uh, we have one of uh, the top psychologists in animal advocacy, uh, Dr. Melanie Joy. Ooh, uh, love her. We've got fun people like, you know, John Lewis, the AKA badass vegan. Uh. Um, Love internationally him. renowned investigative photographer Joanne MacArthur, very good friend of Animal Justice. Uh, we have Gwenna Hunter. If anybody's in the Vegans for Black Lives Matter group, you're you're gonna mm-hmm. Gwenna is a, a rock star. Uh, out, vegan outreach is Jack Norris. Um, we have Michelle Ro- Rojas uh, Soto from uh, Encompass. Uh, former undercover investigator Jeff Regier. Uh, oh my God, I can't even like wow. super activists Jenny McQueen and Amy Serrano. Um, you know, yeah, we've got we've got so many people, and um, and so they're coming to do this because they recognize that this is an important movement in itself. Doing an academy that really grows. I'm hoping thousands of people to become um, more powerful uh, and effective advocates for animals. So yeah, so Camille, you mentioned the whole idea of um, that you don't have to be holding a a protest sign, although that can be powerful too, to be an animal advocate. And that's what a lot of people think they have to do. And so what we want to do in the academy is just show you the plethora of ways that you can become active for animals. Um, And, you know, like creating impactful social media, um, learning how to write really good letters to the editor, which Jessica is going to teach us, Mm -hmm. Um, getting vegan products on menu in restaurants around Mm. you or on shelves in grocery stores or, you know, in in your workplace or in your kid's school. Um, We're going to talk about, you know, um, and not just talk about fighting ag-gag laws, but we're going to do mass action around fighting ag-gag laws. Oh, good. So the idea is throughout the program, we're also going to do these sort of practicum actions where, uh, you know, we're going to have just hundreds and hundreds of people doing different actions around a particular animal issue. And we're going to have everybody pledge to doing um, a form of activism around this issue in their own way, whether that is, um, you know, doing a a, a drawing that's really powerful, um, having a conversation with a coworker about it, you know, uh, pitching an op-ed piece, uh, talking to your kids about it, doing a quick video about it, handing out leaflets, doing a comment 
comedy bit. It could be anything. We want to teach you that you can do activism where you are using your own unique style and skills. Oh, I love that. That's so powerful. That's so powerful. How, so how does the Academy work, Kimberly? Like, what is the logistics of how people can actually log on and be involved in this? So um, they can enroll into the program at um, animaljusticeacademy.com. And they will enroll and then closer to the 25th, they will get um, their credentials to be able to get into the course platform, which is all online. Beautiful course platform, um, very easy to navigate. Um, And we are going to release each week of content uh, week by week so that we don't overwhelm people. And that's Mm -hmm. so everybody can kind of be working through stuff with together. Um, And so there will be about eight video modules per week. Uh, And then we'll also have two um, live panel sessions per week as well on the Tuesday and Thursday of the week. And that's a chance for all of us to really get together um, to be able to do Q&A with some of these amazing people. Um, We're also going to do some breakout groups so that people can start, you know, getting to know each other better, um, maybe form some alliances. Uh, We'll also have a private Facebook group where we're going to be doing a lot of um, action building and a lot of community building through prompts and challenges and and just, you know, really just sharing what what our experience is. So so we're really appealing to everybody from the newbies who have never done any activism to the veteran activists, because there's going to be a lot of of stuff. I'm learning so much just by, you know, listening to the modules that are coming in. I mean, I've been at this for a long time and I'm learning tons. And so we really wanted to have, you know, enough to appeal to both ends of the spectrum. And wow. of course, the folks in the middle as well. So so the, the modules are, are things that people can do kind of on their own own time. Is that how exactly. it works? And then the, the right. lives are more like people tuning in all at the same time. That's how That's that works. Right. Yeah. So the lives will be Tuesdays and Thursdays at 7 p.m. Eastern Perfect. time. And then the modules, you can they're they're uh, available uh, via uh video and audio. So they, you know, you can listen to them while you're washing dishes, or you can sit down and hang out with the speaker for, you know, 20 minutes. Um, And we're trying to keep them fairly short, um, just because we, you know, want people to be able to take them all in. And we know that it's tough these days. But, you know, um, the course, the program is free. That's one of the things we should say right off the bat. Definitely. Can you imagine getting all of this amazing content with the people you just listed for free? It's like for free. That's incredible. That's incredible. It's, it's, it's free because we just thought this was just such an important thing. Um, you know, we, we wanted, um, we wanted to help people rise up in this movement because we can only create laws, uh, help create laws and change laws when we have the public support behind us, you know, laws only change when, when the mass public changes. And so that requires us to, you know, really, we need an army on the ground. We need people that are really changing things in every school, in every um, church, in every, uh, you know, workplace, in every, you know, uh, community center. So, um, so that's, that's why this was so important for us to be able to offer this up um, from animal justice. And, and we also wanted it to be a a place where we, um, we really showcased all of the, uh, you know, amazing uh, groups and animal advocates out there. It's not just the animal justice show. This is, we're 
bringing in, you know, people from from groups all over Canada and the U.S. So it's uh, so it's going to be it's going to be really exciting. And yeah. And, and you know, the idea is we, we definitely want you to be committed. We want you to come in. We want you to be engaged. But, you know, there's nothing that you have to do. Um, you, we just want you to, you know, take in as much as you can um, use it for what you need to use it for. Hopefully builds, you know, feel a little bit of the community and um, and really, you know, uh, gather as much as you can out of it. So. Um, so, yeah, we, we ask that you put a little bit of time aside for it and um, and and be part of the gang. And otherwise, it's free and just show up. <laughs> wow. Well, sounds exciting. And I, I'm guessing uh, it looks like the way things are going, at least Ontario is heading into another lockdown. It seems like definitely Quebec is doing that. Yeah. Um, so I'm anticipating people might actually have a lot of time on their hands. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Good timing it. for this. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it'll be great. It'll be. And, and I think people are feeling quite you know, they're feeling so isolated this year. Um, and, and so what a great way to be able to feel not only amongst community, but amongst community of, of people who care, who really care about animals, health, the environment. Um, so, so I think even just that in itself is, is going to be worth the price of admission, which is free. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, if you think about just the amount of sort of community that we felt in the, uh, animal law conference that was held earlier, just, uh, you know, I was sort of skeptical about how much you could feel like you were actually together compared to an in-person conference, but it did feel like there was a lot of community. And I feel like this will be able to bring all these people plus more because it's free uh we'll be able to all come together again and Mm -hmm. and feel like we're with people when we're not with people yeah absolutely and uh and on the animal justice academy site you'll be able to see all the different um week themes and modules i mean i can't even begin to tell you you know all of them but we go everything from how to do fundraising how to do protest planning how to you know effectively communicate with your family and friends about animal uh issues um you know again i already talked about a lot of the um the political stuff, but, you know, how to support um, animal friendly uh, politicians, Um, how to, you know, go into your school and and get a dissection program change, Um, Mm. things like that. So uh, we want, whether you're a kid, you're a parent, you're, uh, you know, a nine to five, or you are a, um, you know, a seasoned animal activist, there is going to be something, you know, new and exciting for you. And um, Kimberly, uh, a lot of our listeners are Canadian, but many are from outside the country too. Do you think this will be of interest to people who are not located exclusively in Canada? Absolutely. Um, they, you know, I mean, there will be some things that will be Canadian centric, um, but, you know, especially the political advocacy week. But I think all of the stuff that our speakers are talking about can be applied to um, to any other political representative. Um, so uh, and, and really a lot of the information is just amazing information for you to have no matter where you are. And we've really informed our speakers that we are are, are probably going to have an international audience. So they they're, they're really trying to speak to that as well in their modules. So yeah, absolutely. Come, come one, come all. We'd love to have, have all of you out there. Oh, and one of the things that I forgot to say is, uh, you know, one of my special passions is making sure that animal advocates are taking care of themselves and are really 
really doing things to empower themselves and center themselves so that their work can be truly uh, influential and, and effective and so that they don't burn out. And so our entire last week of the program is around tools to um, become a, uh, again, uh, just a, a more sort of grounded, solid, um, sustainable uh, activist. So uh, I'll be showing up there quite a bit. <laughs> <laughs> that is your forte. <laughs> yeah, that's my wheelhouse for sure. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Well, I am even more excited about it now. It's me know, too. Just finished Yay. the busy year end season. So my mind was kind of focused elsewhere, but hearing you talk about it, this got me really fired up too about this. Yay. I know. I, I've been trying not to bug you too much about it, Camille, but she's gotten bits <laughs> and pieces like where's, who's, where's the email for so-and-so? Do you know so-and-so? Who would be great for this? So <laughs> thank you for all the help. <laughs> oh, well, thank you for conceiving and executing this. Uh, so Kimberly, given that your forte is helping empower activists and individuals to do a better job of advocating for animals while protecting themselves, and that we happen to be recording this in the first week of January, I know this is a time when a lot of people are looking forward to the year ahead and who knows what that will hold. Uh, but I believe that you have a few tips for people who are committing perhaps to uh, new ways of activism or looking forward to what they can do this year to make a difference. Maybe you could share with our audience some of those tips. Yeah, sure. I'd love to. I mean, I could talk for hours on this, so I'll try to be really quick. Um, but I, I've just come up with like five small habits that maybe you might be able to implement to become a little bit more empowered in what you do. Um, and that's, you know, involves inner work, it involves daily habits, and it involves some strategy. So the first thing I'm going to say is um, a lot of us animal advocates just we take on too much, we get overstimulated, uh, which makes us scattered, it makes us ineffective, it makes us it makes us burn out. So I'm all about finding ways to cut out some of the junk. And and that junk is especially apparent with, with social media. <laughs> and so one habit that I instituted this past year, and I love it, I'm so happy I did it, is um, not looking, not going online for the first hour of my day. Um, they say that I think it's 80% of people reach for their uh, phone in the first five minutes of being awake. And to me, that is like, yeah, Camille. Just, yep. yep. <laughs> I just raised yeah. my hand. She yeah. just raised her hand. Um, and that to me is tantamount to stumbling outside onto a busy street in your pajamas and having cars going, you know, at you. It, it's like, it's ridiculous. You're in a vulnerable state. You've just woken up. You don't have your wits about you. Why are you going to put yourself out into the world of this like overwhelming world, right? Point. <laughs> it's a good yeah. point. <laughs> yeah. And so, so for me, it's hard, but I, I mean, I actually still like, I, I will, if it's a, a client day, I'll just check email, just scan really quick, just to make sure they're sure there's no cancellations, but I won't engage in anything. I won't open anything. And I certainly don't go on social media. I take the time to do the things that center me. And, and so that when you do go online, you're just, you're feeling much more focused and you can handle the zooming traffic. Okay, so I also do one hour uh, of off before bedtime too, but that's a we'll take it one step at a time. Whoa, that's the next whoa, level. that's, that's a lot. <laughs> um, the second little habit um, is is a productivity habit. 
Um, we are all as, as, as animal advocates wanting, you know, wanting to get about a hundred times more done than we, <laughs> we are, we do. And, and so another thing that I do that has really been changing, uh, you know, quite shifting for me and that it's a really simple step, but I do a weekly and a daily top three. And that is at the beginning of the week, I really look at, at what is going to move the needle forward on the things that I really care about most. And I know this seems simple, but not most, most people don't do it. And I choose three, sometimes five, three to five things that are, that are really important to this week. Okay. That I'm going to commit to not 20 things, not 10 things, but if you can get it down to three things, that's ideal. And three things that at the end of the week, you're going to be able to look back on and say, yes, I did do that. And then that weekly top three will um, inform your daily top three. Okay. So at the beginning of each day, or, or sometimes I do it before I end the workday before I, I decide what my top three are going to be for the next day. So, you know, based on your weekly top three, what are some of the steps, the mini steps you have to take? to get there. And, um, and then what I do is at the end of the week is I, I go back to that weekly top three or five, and I give uh, it a percentage of, of what I did. Um, just to give yourself some accountability, just to not only accountability, but also to just go, okay, I did something. Because again, at the end of the week, we can go, oh my God, what did I do? And it is, it's really good to be able to go, okay, yeah, I actually got 100% of this done. I only got 40% of this done, but I got 40% of this done. And it's just a really great way to stay on track and accountable. Make sense? I love mm -hmm. it. I'm going to write yeah, that love it. down. Yep. Um, and a third piece, oh, so important for animal advocates, is, is choosing some sort of pain processing tool. Okay, so this is a painful area to be in animal advocacy. I mean, there's just insurmountable suffering, horrific images, stories. Um, and we have to bear witness to this in order to be able to share the stories, to be able to do our work. I mean, Camille and I just spent a couple of months immersed in horrific undercover footage. Right. And I would never survive that if I wasn't finding um just sort of daily tools, regular tools to kind of work through some of that. Now I could give you many, many tools. And I mean, go to my website, KimberlyCarroll.com. You can download a, a program that has, that's all about that. Um, but I'll give you one. Okay. One for now. And this one's really nice and easy. And I just call it the shakeout. Okay. I just call it when, when you are feeling so overwhelmed by the pain of a, an image you just saw or bombarded by uh, just bad news, you know, this, and this mountain ahead that looks so big um, to just take a second, stop, don't go for the phone, don't go for the email and then just breathe in that feeling. Okay. Just breathe in and give that feeling a moment, whether it's sorrow, whether it's rage, just feel it. Okay. So it's not about ignoring it. It's not about glossing it over. It's about feeling it. And then it's about saying, okay, I got it. Now let's shake it off. Okay. So breathing that in and then just, just doing like a full body shake and, and, and extra points, bonus points. If you get the face and the, in there. <laughs> they can't see me, but they can hear me. Um, but to just do like, like 15 seconds of just shaking it out of your body just to remember and come back to the senses of right here, right now, because if we get stuck in this place of, of being, um, depressed and contracted, we're just not going to be able to do the work that we need to do. Okay. So just, you know, whenever you feel yourself getting heavy, don't just shake it off, feel it first and then shake it off. Okay. 
Preferably while dancing to Taylor Swift's song, right? Yeah, 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 exactly. (laughs) That's right, exactly. And if you want to major, like if you want to take this next level, you do, you choose a piece of music that amplifies the feeling you're feeling and you you move out to that. So like, yeah, it could be Mm. really great. Mm. Um, Okay, tool number four. Um, Some sort of 10 minutes of some sort of meditative time. It doesn't have to be traditional meditation, although, you know, that can be amazing. Um, you know, I have lots of meditation sources. Contact me. I can point you in the right direction. Um, but it can just be a 10-minute walk outside where you don't, where you let go of thinking and you just concentrate on the smells and the sounds and your feet hitting the ground. Um, or 10 minutes of listening to a piece of music consciously and doing nothing else but listening to the music. So what this is all about is just trying to let go of the thinking and get into your senses, okay? Again, a brain that is overstimulated, a brain that is in a fear place, a brain that is in a panic place is not going to do good, productive, strategic work, okay? So it's very important for us to have some time of non-doing, non-thinking. And that can be really hard at first, but it's just, you have to be gentle with yourself. And as you're taking that walk and that to-do comes into your mind, you just go, not now. Now, the most important thing for me right now is to just be here now. It's just to come back to myself. I call it coming back home. Mm, Like that. Yeah. And okay, last one. Um, this one has to do with influencing, um, as animal advocates, we have to be persuasive. We, we have to be able to influence people. And the big thing that gets in the way of influencing people is judgment. Okay. So I know I can be a judgy judgerson. (laughs) I'm sure you two can relate. (laughs) It happens. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, of course we can. I mean, there's just so much, so much bad stuff that's being perpetrated on animals. Um, and so, and it's such a, just such a huge issue. Um, but the moment that we start to judge people is the moment that we lose our ability to influence people. Mm. So I want to give you a little tool for dissolving judgment. And this is what works for me every time. Every time I'm starting to get all high and mighty, I think I was this person at one point. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I was this person, maybe not even uh, in terms of veganism, but, you know, like most of us weren't vegan when, since we've been born, <laughs> you know, so that's one thing. But also um, we're all guilty of doing something now that's damaging that we either try to d- deny or rationalize, you know, like I know flying's not good. I'm trying to cut down on it, but I still do it. And so, you know, here I am looking at this person who's having a real hard time is, is really resisting giving up something that's meaningful to them. And I'm, you know, I'm judging the shit out of them. You know? so, <laughs> yeah. so, um, True that. so, yeah. So I, I, I really recall when I was this person or the ways that I are, I am this person. Mm-hmm. And it really helps me not, I, I still advocate. I will still speak out boldly and strongly and often, but I will do it from a place of understanding. I'll do it from a place of just a little bit more tenderness. That's empathy, right? That's, that's yeah, empathy. That's empathy for the human animals that we mm-hmm. deal with. Right. And, and I really just like to keep in mind that to treat everyone as a potential ally. 
Okay, so so if we can keep that sense of understanding, then we can look at somebody as not an opponent, but as a potential ally. I mean, I know it's hard with the dairy <laughs> dairy farmers. <laughs> That's a tough one. That's a tough one. <laughs> not the dairy farmers, but the lobbyists. That's a tough one. Um, but you know, the, there may be some day when they will become an ally. There may be some day when they put down the the milking machines and they and they come over to to producing plant-based milks you know so we've seen it happen we've seen it happen so let's treat them like a potential ally let's even though we are advocating strongly let's always think of them as 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 humans with their own universes and their own sort of set of of joys and sorrows and and i know that that's a little existential but it really helps me to not get so freaking angry Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a good tip, both for, you know, doing individual outreach. Mm -hmm. I think that's especially applicable when you're talking about politicians too. Like it can be very tempting to treat some politicians as enemies because of positions that they've taken in the past while forgetting like the enormous pressure they're under from say the dairy lobby or from some other industry. So I I like that both on the sort of individual, like macro level or micro level, but also the macro level in terms Mm -hmm. of like helping us all process the world and deal with people's behavior when it doesn't align with our own values. Yeah, absolutely. And and I do think our the work of this movement is bridge building. We're not mm-hmm. trying to um we're not trying to make enemies. We're trying to make the whole world, you know, understand, you know, that animals need to be, you know, protected and honored and respected. And, and we're not going to do that necessarily by just burning bridges. It's, it's, it's the bridge building that, that is really going to change the day. And again, how we get to that bridge building, I'm not saying that we can't be assertive, that we can't be strong, that we can't take, do bold actions, but again, always maintain a little bit of that tenderness, a little bit of that understanding. Mm, that's great advice. Well, and for more on all of this, I suspect the final week of the Animal Justice Academy will be very enlightening. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we will have a lot of this. We'll have everything from, like I said, productivity tips to uh, how to combat com- uh, compassion fatigue, everything. Wow, and how- okay, great. Trauma. We have a trauma specialist, you know, to talk about, you know, the PTSD that a lot of animal activists get from doing this work. Yeah, seriously important. Well, Kimberly, this was an amazing conversation. Thank you so much for sharing all the excitement coming up with the Academy. And um, again, so the website is animaljusticeacademy.com or was it .ca? No, it's .com. Yeah. And you can sign up there. By the time this episode is out, the website will be up and accepting sign up. So go visit it, learn more. And we hope to see you in part of the course. So yeah, we'll see you January 25th. (laughs) Thank you for joining us, Kimberly. Okay, thanks. I hope you'll come back again, Kimberly. I would love to. I hope it's not another three years. (laughs) (laughs) It won't be. We promise. We promise. I blame Peter for this. I mean, you know what? Peter hates me. I would definitely blame Peter. I think that makes perfect sense. (laughs) Peter's always bad mouthing me on on this show I I, I, know it's my turn (laughs) exactly Uh, I love Peter he and I are the seniors of the team so I I have to stay on his side (laughs) okay thanks Kimberly thanks guys Hey, I'm Adam Chame. And I'm Shoshana Chame, and we are Propelled by Plants. I'm a health and wellness consultant helping individuals and health practitioners improve cellular healing and achieve rock star wellness. I'm also a public speaker and author. I'm a nutrition and fitness coach helping athletes train and eat to achieve their goals by reducing their inflammation and improving their recovery time. I'm an Ironman triathlete, family man, speaker, and author. Together, we're the hosts of the Plant Trainers Podcast, where we're helping our listeners improve their quality of life through plant based 
plant-based nutrition and fitness. Our weekly podcast highlights the leading experts in the field to help you understand the science of nutrition, help you stay motivated, and of course, give you actionable tips that meet you where you are on this journey. So go ahead and download and subscribe to the Plant Trainers Podcast on your favorite podcasting app today. Thanks for listening and now back to the show. Heroes and Zeros. And now for everybody's favorite segment, Heroes and Zeros. Heroes and Zeros. Woo. <laughs> All right, our hero today. I'm not sure if she's been a hero before. I can't recall, though she's pretty awesome, so it wouldn't surprise me. But Surprising if she hasn't been. Yeah. Jane Goodall. Jane Goodall needs no introduction, but she's been in the news in Canada recently because she posted a video urging Edmonton to send Lucy the elephant, who, of course, is imprisoned at the Edmonton Valley Zoo. Uh, Dr. Goodall wants them to send Lucy to a sanctuary. So something that people have been working on for, gosh, 15 years years or more. Multiple court cases, attempts to appeal to the Supreme Court. Um, appeals from tons of celebrities. I remember when Bob Barker and George Larocque yep. and all kinds of people were asking the city to do this about 10 years ago, and they were offering to fund the cost of transporting her. And the city keeps saying, oh, no, she can't be safely transported because she's too ill. And, and yet, uh, here we are years and years later, and she's still, she's still alive, still alive and somewhat well. I know. Can you imagine if 10 years ago they'd sent her to the sanctuary in Tennessee exactly. that Dr. Goodall's suggesting? Like, oh... Think of what she could have experienced in that time roaming with other elephants and being out of the snow and the cold. It's so heartbreaking to think of. There's actually a children's book that was written. I think it's called uh, I Have a Friend Named Lucy that uh, an activist written, writ, uh, wrote and, and uh, illustrated. I have one for my daughter. It's it's really lovely. Oh, yeah. Gorgeous. Sad, sad, but lovely. It really teaches kids about uh, zoos and the truth. Oh, let's hope our kids do a heck of a lot better than our generation at closing these things down and converting them to sanctuaries. No kidding. Good call. Um, So yeah, thank you, Jane Goodall, for being that hero. I hope someone listens to her this time. And Jane Goodall, of course, is uh, there's a bill named in her honor, the Jane Goodall Act, which we've spoken about extensively on this podcast. I think it was episode 68 where Peter and I did a quite an extensive examination mm-hmm. of, of what that bill would do. But in short, it would outlaw captivity in the future for elephants and great apes, just like we did last year with uh, whale captivity. Fingers crossed for that one. Yeah. And now on to our zero. The zero for this week are those revelers in Rome who ignored the legal ban and lit New Year's Eve fireworks that killed starlings. Boo. You know, Camille, I have been advocating against fireworks for a couple of years now. Uh, I wrote an article for the Globe and Mail just before Canada Day last year uh, talking about all the reasons why fireworks are so awful, not only for wildlife, but for pets, for the environment, um, for neonatal babies and other vulnerable people refugees um, and and uh, others coming from war-torn areas. There's so many reasons why fireworks are traumatizing. In part of my research, I actually found uh, one scientist who found that in places near uh, coastal areas that sometimes seabirds can get so terrified of fireworks that they will fly too far from land that they can't get back. Oh, Isn't that just the most awful thing you've heard? And so here we have in Rome these awful pictures pictures and video footage of these starlings, these small birds that they said were roosting in this leafy neighborhood, just falling to the ground dead. And some uh, experts have said that they believe that they were, they actually were terrified to death. Yeah. 
to, to yeah. death. And there, there is an actual ban on fireworks in the city of Rome. I believe that's what the article on uh, Sky News said. And people just ignored it. So boo you guys and boo fireworks. Boo fireworks. And let's start to see some of those bans in Canada. And, and hopefully social acceptance too for this idea that we don't need to make like loud noises to adequately celebrate different life events. <laughs> And flying garbage. It's just flying garbage. Oh, my God, and yeah. And there's so many better alternatives now. In the article, I talk about, you know, what they had done at the last Olympics uh, with these great uh, flying drones. There's also some silent fireworks that are being invented. So there's, there's other options where we can celebrate with, you know, big lights and fun that don't have to be terrifying. Yeah, seriously. The garbage aspect of it is underrated, actually, I think. Because I, when true. I lived in Ottawa... I lived fairly close to downtown in Parliament Hill in the Byward Market. And depending on which way the wind was blowing and where they were setting off fireworks, my neighborhood would sometimes just be filled with debris. There'd be like all yep. these sort of like firework husks and crap all over the ground. And it's like, you got to think that that's having some effect on wildlife too. Yes, and there they've been. There's studies been done about what it can do to um, areas of water. Uh, these things falling into water. I don't forget. I lived in Europe for a long time, and in Germany and in Denmark, fireworks are a huge deal on New Year's Eve. People are doing them for hours at a time, and that debris is left on the ground for months. I, I've seen it many, many times. Gross. Yep. Well, zeros to those guys. People, stay safe. Forget about the fireworks. Get yep. a sparkler. Good call. <laughs> All right. Well, I think that wraps up episode 70 of the Pod and Order podcast. Thank you very much, Camille. This is fun. I uh, Fingers crossed that 2020, as we continue on, will be much better than last year. Fingers crossed to that. All right. <laughs> Bye, Jess. Bye, Camille. We'd like to thank our listeners for tuning in today. We'd love to ask you to subscribe to the Pod and Order podcast using Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, or your other favorite podcatcher. Also, please leave a rating because it helps more people find the show. And if you can, please tell other listeners to share the podcast so more people can hear us. You can also consider supporting us on our Patreon page, patreon.com slash pot and order if you like what you hear. You can find me on Twitter at, at Peter Sankoff or at my website, petersankoff.com. You can find me on Twitter at Jess L. Reed. And you can find me on Twitter at, at Camille Lavchuk, that's L-A-B-C-H-U-K. And we always enjoy Twitter conversations about the show or any other animal law or political topics. And finally, we'd like to thank our producer, Shannon Milling. See you next time on Pawn Order. Hi. For more great iRaw podcasts, visit iRawPod.com. That's I-R-O-A-R-P-O-D.com. Ow.